Well, I'm gonna just say right here and now, Terry, I hope this is our first date, that you've asked me out here once, but uh, you know, you can ask me as many times as you like. I might go on a second date. Poor guy got hauled up here. And he is, um, how many of you feel painfully single? <laughs> and it's like, I was like, all oh, fingers on the, but he wasn't, er. And I know every time you um, hear somebody's bio, it really, it, it's much better than who they are <laughs> in real life. I do laundry, I change my grandchildren's poopy diapers, I have to do everything you guys do all the days of my life. And I'm just here to say, and I believe with everything you've heard, that God loves you. But I want to add that caveat that's really old. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And some people just end there, and, and God loves you. He's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me, this, you know, you're going to, it's not, it doesn't really sink in, and it doesn't really turn into something tangible. And to be quite honest, most of us live in the ordinary. I mean, when was the last time you heard someone speak from the mountaintop? Anybody? Has anyone seen the Potomac split in half so you could walk through to the other side? Anybody? How about walking on water? Is there anyone here walked on water? No, and so sometimes it just feels like we are in the midst of the mundane, in the nuance of the normal, and we're like, yeah, God used to talk like that to old dead people, <laughs> but I'm not hearing it. I haven't seen the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. I wanna say God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life, thus, God has a plan for your life. Anybody here like to know what God's plan is for their life? If you don't raise your hand, I'm kind of wondering about you right now. Because I swear, if I just wrote the book or put a tape out there that said, how to know God's plan for your life, it would be a bestseller because we all want to know what his plan is for, should I marry him, not marry him? Do we take that job, not take that job? There are so many things that come up in our lives and we're just big question mark. You're like, Lord, a neon sign would be convenient right about now. And so we're asking him to speak to us. And I want to say tonight, God still speaks. You can hear, amen, I, well, you applaud it up. It's God speaking, not me. God wants to talk to you more than you want to hear God speak. Let's just put that frame a little differently. You think you wanna hear him, he wants to be heard. He wants you to hear him, and he wants you to know his plan for your life. Now, if that's the case, why do so many of us walk around wondering what his plan is for our lives? And I will say to you that I have a life's verse. It has been since I've become a Christian. That's what I'm teaching tonight. Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5. This is the first time I've ever taught this. But this is my life's verse. It's how I meditate, live, and walk and breathe with the Lord. It's just something he's developed. And I promise you, if you will apply these principles to your life, you will hear him more. You will know him more. 
You will understand him and you will have divine encounters with him and you don't need the mountaintop. Now, what I call this experience is a holy moment. And a holy moment doesn't sound really great. You can't find it in Webster's Dictionary. It's not there. But a holy moment occurs when you discover something miraculous in the midst of your mundane life. It's when God can transform something ordinary into the extraordinary in your life. It's God's way of letting you know that he's there, he cares, and he hears your prayers. Now, these circumstances may not include a burning bush or that voice from the mountain or the parting of the seas, but it could come in a timely phone call, an unexpected check, or being at the right place at the right time. The verse we're looking at, Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5, reads as this. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will bring it to pass. And I will give you an example of a holy moment in my life. You just heard, I run so I can eat. So pretty much anywhere I go, I wake up running so I can eat. And I did the same thing today. I ran around the Potomac, and when Terry came to get me, she said, well, I bet you've ran because you want to eat, right? And so, of course, we did. Well, my brother got married in Honolulu, Hawaii, and we were visiting. So I got up each morning to jog along Waikiki and go for a run. And one morning I got up, was running down Kapiolani Park and up Diamond Head on the slopes. And I'm about two, two and a half miles out on a four, four and a half mile run, and I get a Charlie horse in my left calf. I mean, one of those stinking, gripping, painful, won't go away, this is going to do nothing, Charlie Horse. So I back myself to a wall, and I'm doing stretches, and everything I can won't go away. Now, of course, I didn't bring my cell phone, I didn't have my wallet, I didn't have any money, I didn't have a credit card, no way I'm getting home, other than limping my way home. So I am literally, limping, you know, through Waikiki. And at one point, the Lord says to my heart, taps on my shoulder, so Lenya, you gonna pray? I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I should maybe try it, that's what I believe, that you're supposed to pray for everything, right? So I go, Lord, help, I've hurt my leg. Heal me, help me, get me home, do something. I mean, it was really a profound prayer. <laughs> You're welcome to use that prayer at any time you would like. It's yours. No, no market on that. And so as I'm hobbling, I look up at this Queen Capulani Park and stretched across two palm trees with pomerias and the wind blowing is a sign, a banner that says, Heaven Sent. I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, that is just, ha, 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 Lord, you're so funny. And so then as I'm hobbling and I'm going, heaven sent, I get closer and the sign says, heaven sent mobile massage therapy. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, righty then. And so there's like this airstream uh, in the park and I'm like, do I knock on the door? You know, what do I do? So I'm about to knock and this guy comes out. He was a local, his name was Bunny Gabilo. And I'm like, that's his name. And um, so I, 
starting to say, I don't have a wallet, I don't have any money, he goes, it's your lucky day. <laughs> I go, it's my lucky day? He goes, it's your lucky day. I give two-minute free massage. <laughs> I was like, I'm in. So um, anyway, he's doing shiatsu or whatever it is they do, tiger bomb and stuff on your calf. And I'm like, well, now I have to witness to him. I mean, it's heaven sent. And, you know, he's going to take care of my leg. Well, it turns out he's a Christian. And he said the Lord just told him that day to come out in the park and give people free massages to drum up business. That is a holy moment. Right? I mean, there's just no denying that. So let's pull these words apart put them back together, and go through the steps of a holy moment. Holy just means to be separated to God. It's something that is consecrated, dedicated for him. For instance, the Sabbath is holy. Seven days a week, only one of them is holy. It's set apart for God. Now, there are buildings that are holy. The temple was set apart for God. This church is set apart for God could be grains, could be goats, as long as you set it apart to bring as a sacrifice unto the Lord, that thing becomes holy, consecrated, dedicated. That's pretty simple. Second word, moment. Hopefully, I don't have to explain what that means to you. It's just a portion or a point of time. And because moments happen so frequently, day in and day out, we take them for granted. What's one more sand through the hourglass or one more tick on the dial? And I love that holy is so extraordinary and moment is so ordinary that when the come to together, the two come together, you have the divine with humanity in a moment in time. Now, have any of you ever felt like there was a moment when time stood still? Whoa. You know, did somebody hit the slow-mo or the pause button? And she's like, whoa, this is an important moment. All time now will be marked by this moment. From this moment on, there will be before and after this moment. That this is a time that something really happened. So that's kind of the idea of a holy moment. Another word that we might know for that as Christians is providence. Providence simply means the subtle intervention of God in the affairs of humans. The subtle intervention. That's why it's not thundering. That's why seas aren't parting. These are the subtle things, the quiet things. You might say it's when God winks. I like to say, you know how his right hand is the hand that saves and he will uphold us? I like to say it's his left hand. You know, he's doing something else down here and it may not be so overt that these are his ways. Now, some people want to call providence coincidence. I hope you know that in the Lord there's no such thing as luck or coincidence. Bill Moyers, the newsman, said, coincidence is God's way of remaining anonymous or it's God incognito you go whoa that was God and at the moment it might not be so obvious heaven sent was rather obvious but you know what I mean I'm nobody special God doesn't play favorites it's not like I just get holy moments in my life and you cannot experience them but I believe if you apply these four steps in this verse to your life you will be more opportune to experience them and sensitive to them 
when they happen. And these four things are your delight, his desires, your dedication, his direction. So let's just start with delight yourself in the Lord, David said. Delight is simply something that brings you pleasure, gratification, or satisfaction. Now, I like this because Christians often think, unless it's something horrible and tragic, you will not hear God's voice. The day I get cancer, I will probably hear God's voice. Has anybody ever done that? Come on. You're like, it's only when something really horrible is going to happen. And David starts right here. He says, delight yourself in the Lord. So it's something pleasurable, gratification. This is where my head goes, the sound of music. What are things that are delightful? Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, right? And so she starts listing a few of her favorite things. These were the things that would delight the Von Trapp children. Now, I'm not sure if that's what would delight you, but what are some of your favorite things? God created you uniquely. We're not all the same. We're not all worship leaders. We can't all make pies and jams like some of the ladies do out there. As a matter of fact, we would hate it if we had to make a pie or a jam. <laughs> so what brings you delight? What do you delight in? Well, my husband Skip is a surfer, was, because now we live in a desert with no water. <laughs> but anyway, he used to love surfing, and before we were married, he was driving down Pacific Coast Highway one night, and uh, as he was driving along, he saw a billboard, and the billboard said, available now. You guys are all going to start reading billboards. That's not what I'm intending to do here. But he sees this billboard, it says available now, probably no one was advertising on it, and he went, huh, and he remembered something that Pastor Chuck said. He said, it is easier for God to lead someone who is moving and doing something than it is for those who are waiting for a thunderbolt from heaven. So he pulled into the beach at Huntington Beach, parked his car, went out to one of those orange um, lifeguard stands, and he thought, I'll just go up there and pray. So he's sitting up at the top of the <clears throat> lifeguard stand, and he's like, Lord, here I am. I'm available now. Use me. And all of a sudden, he hears, and he looks down, and there's another surfer underneath the uh, lifeguard tower eating Cheetos. <laughs> so he goes, hey, dude. And they start talking, and he ends up leading this guy to the Lord. By simply doing what he delighted in, being at the beach and talking to Jesus, he had a holy moment, a moment, the holiest moment of all, where someone comes to faith in Christ. So you can see he just wants you to delight in your favorite things. And I want you to know God speaks in pleasure as well as pain. And maybe you could find Jesus in some of the places you routinely visit, out on a jog, down by the shore. Jacob, it says, he was traveling down a road that was familiar in Genesis 28:16, and he had that vision where the ladder came down. He camped that night, put a rock for a pillow. He laid down, and a ladder came, and angels were going up and down. And he stood up, and he said, The Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. So the Lord could be in a place. Elijah, 
Remember, he was out and he saw this violent storm and a tumultuous earthquake and a ferocious fire, but God's voice wasn't in any of them. It was the still, small voice. Maybe you're looking in some of the wrong places. Now, I wonder when King David said, delight yourself, if he meant motorcycles and mansions and mittens. No, it said, delight yourself in the Lord. It wasn't things, it was the king. The king of kings. So you're to delight yourself in the Lord. That was the object of David's delight. So that completes that first step, to delight yourself in the Lord. Now let me help explain that further. Let me tell you some of the things I delight in. I love a thunderstorm. I like cookies hot out of the oven. I love to read a book by a toasty fire. I like black and white movies with my friends. If you wanted to spend a day that would delight me, those things might be included in the day. Now, if Skip decided to spend a day to win my affection, and he decided we'd skydive before breakfast, four-wheel for lunch, hunt, kill, and put something on a spit to eat for our meal, I would not be excited. This is not delighting to me. This is horrible to me. For you to delight yourself in the Lord, you need to find out what he delights in. And we find out from his word that that delight is used 60 times in the Old Testament, returning to God, God delights in, and most every time it is obeying his laws, following his commands, rejoicing in his testimony, or keeping his statutes. Therefore, to delight in the Lord, you delight in his word. The more you know his word, he is the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The more you know the word, the more you know him, and you know what he delights in. Psalm 112.1 says, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who finds great delight in his commands. Jesus put it even more simply. If anyone loves me, he will keep my commandments, and my Father will love him, and will make our home with him. So if you want to be delighting in God, be in his word, obey his commandments. When our son Nathan was a little boy, we tried to teach him how to delight in God as well, through quiet time, to be able to pray and be in his word. And one night I was tucking my little boy into bed, and gosh, he was preschool, I think. And his prayer was one that you wish you could capture, because I'd heard him pray before, Lord, I want every beanie baby in the world. <laughs> now, what are the odds of God answering that prayer? This night he said, Lord, I just want to know you more. Will you teach me your word? I was like, oh, God, please answer this prayer. It's the most perfect prayer ever uttered by a three-year-old with blonde hair. And the next morning, we are going to the mailbox, and in the mailbox is an envelope covered with stickers, and inside was the children's book of Bible verses from one of his aunts. Now, do you think Nathan prayed it up even harder that night? Because the prayer he had said the night before, God answered. So I would say, when you're delighting in him and praying what he wants you to pray, you're probably more likely to experience a holy moment. 
In fact, I think answered prayers are holy moments that God is sometimes just waiting for you to pray that prayer. And I think sometimes we just hold out. Whether it's, Lord, I surrender. Okay, Lord, I'll submit. Yes, Lord, I'll take that job or whatever it is. And he's going, bingo, ding, 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 ding. And now that happens in your life. Isaiah 65, 24 says, It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. There are some prayers he is just waiting for you to utter. Delight yourself in the Lord, step one. Step two, he will give you the desires of your heart. And you are thinking, hot diggity dog. Now I can genie in the bottle, rub it up, and anything I want, I can get it from God. It's not quite what this means, but let's figure out what it means. Desire simply means a wish, want, or craving for an experience or an object. He will give you the desires of your heart, the wish of your heart, the want of your heart, the craving of your heart. It's beautiful that as we delight in him, he will give us his desires. I think that is the supernaturally natural that happens in our lives. Now, I'm not talking about Pinocchio. When you wish upon a star. And I'm not talking about Dorothy, that she wants to be somewhere over the rainbow because things didn't work out so well for them. I'm pretty sure Pinocchio was swallowed by a whale and Dorothy got sucked up into a tornado. So I think that you can have good desires and bad desires. And David is saying, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, how do you know if a desire is a good one or a bad one? Because this is part of, how do you know the will of God? How do you know this? Well, Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I... The Lord search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways. In other words, God can help you discern about these desires to let you know. He knows. He's testing. He can see. My mother um, divorced my original father. Actually, my father divorced her, for being more accurate. And she remarried, and... Um, a few years back, he was just notoriously naughty, naughty, naughty. And um, he'd been a part of the family for so long, and I loved him like a father. And he had an affair and was going to run off with this woman who actually rented the house that my mother had next door. And um, my mom said, da -da -da -da, this is happening, and just handed the phone to my stepfather. And I say to him, do you understand what you're doing? Do you realize what's happening? Do you understand the ramifications? And I said, you know, please, please reconsider this. And he said, I gotta follow my heart. I gotta do what my heart says to do. Now, have you had anyone ever say this to you and really you just wanna strangle them? 
Maybe it's a prodigal child. Maybe it's an unequally yoked husband. Maybe it's a boss. It could be a number of people, but how do you know if that desire in the heart is the right one? Now it's quite obvious that my stepfather should not be having an affair and running off with another woman. I mean, that's something that's easy, but not all of them are that easy. I had a dog before Mac named Cleo, and Cleo had this blue squeaky baby that she loved, 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 loved. It's in the backyard all the time, and she slobbered on it, chewed on it, buried it. If you went out in the yard, you'd try and take it from her, and she would run and hide. Now, if I walked in the backyard with a sirloin steak and said, Cleo, look what I have, she would not let go of the squeaky. Is this happening in your life, perhaps? You have a hold of an addiction, bitterness, anger, fear, and you're And the Lord's going, look, delight yourself in the Lord, and I will give you the desires of your heart. And you're like, but I love this blue squeaky. You see, sometimes you have to let go of something you desire to get the desire God wants you to desire. You recognize this? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will plant them. So these are three questions you can ask yourself when you want to know God's will. Is this desire from God or not? And I promise if you put it through this filter, you will know in the end where that is. Three questions. What do I want? Why do I want it? What am I willing to do to get it? Those are three pretty good questions. First question, what do I want? What is the object of your desire? You see, because there's a difference between love and lust. Perfect example, Samson. Your mother always said, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. And Samson's mother probably exactly said that to him, and he said he wanted Delilah. Now she begged him, please, Samson, we're not to marry people from this race. We are not to do this. It's against God's law. Can't you find anyone who comes to the church? Isn't there anybody? No, mother, I'm missionary dating. I'm pretty sure after I date this person, they will get saved and they will be the evangelist of all evangelists. Have you ever had a teenager? You have to reason with these kind of things. How do you know it's God's will? What do you want? Well, that's what Samson wanted, and what he got, what he wanted, it was his undoing. He should have said, do I want what God wants? So, what do you want? Second question, why do I want it? Why exposes motive? Do you want it for greedy gain or God's glory? Oh, Lord, make me a top 10 Christian artist, and I promise I will testify everywhere you send me, Lord. And the Lord's going, really? What are your motives in all of this? And he's going to try them. Now, motive is where Eve stumbled. We got to give Eve a little bit of credit here. First of all, she met a talking snake. <laughs> I mean, 
You ever meet a talking snake? So you got, and you know what? She was the first woman. She didn't have no mama. Mom, there's a talking snake. No Bible, no pastor, no prayer partner. A snake talks to her. And it says, hath God said, you should not eat of every fruit of the garden? And she goes, that's right. We cannot eat of the tree in the midst of the garden, nor touch it or we'll die. Now, she was a little exaggerating that response, but she did say no to a talking snake. So why did she end up saying yes? He gave her a motive. Oh, that's because God knows the day you eat of it, you're going to be wise like God, knowing good and evil. <clears throat> why did she want it? She passed the first test and failed the second. And you know what? It was the downfall for the human race. Eve should have asked herself, why do I want what God doesn't want? Why? Why do I want that? Third question, what do I want? Why do I want it? What am I willing to do to get it? A desire's merit also loves lies in how you go about getting what you want. Heads up, there's such a thing as getting the right thing the wrong way. I mean, this is just like Ethics 101. I mean, if I want something, I could steal it. Don't think, thou shalt not steal. Pretty sure it's not God's will. So what are you willing to do to get it? St. Augustine wrote, sin comes when we take a perfectly natural desire or longing or ambition and try desperately to fulfill it without God. Not only is it sin, it is a perverse distortion of the image of the creator in us. All good things are rightly found only and completely in him. So let me give you examples. Right thing, wrong way. Sarah really, really, really wanted a baby. God said she would have a baby, but it wasn't happening fast enough. So, Hagar. Thus the Middle East conflict to this day because she tried to get the right thing the wrong way. Judas, 30 pieces of silver. Abraham lied to the Pharaoh. My wife is not my wife. It's my sister. Don't kill me. He was willing to lie. Jacob was to steal Isaac's blessing. It's not that they wanted bad things. A wife's good. A blessing's good. Safety is good. But they tried to get the right thing the wrong way. So if we know there are wrong desires, what did David mean when he said you could have a right desire? Because our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. I want to tell you another holy moment story. I have a good friend named Michelle Wetland, and her husband is John Wetland. He was the MVP for the 1996 um, baseball. And uh, anyway, he's a crack pitcher. And um, they moved from New York. He was with the Yankees when he was the MVP. And when they moved to Texas, he was working with the Rangers, and they had twins. <laughs> and so about this phase in her life, she had toddler twins. One morning, she gets up to read the newspaper, and the Fort Star telegram says this, a family shattered, mother of three-day-old twin faces loss of husband and son. They were on their way to meet the two new babies, and the dad and son died in a car crash on the freeway. 
in Dallas. And because Michelle was a mother of twins, she understood this pain, and she couldn't let it go. The woman's name was Kathy McGoisel, and Michelle started praying for her daily. Oh, Lord, help her. Oh, Lord, comfort her. Oh, Lord, give her your grace. Oh, Lord, help those babies. She was praying. This went on for days, and still Michelle prayed, and months, and still Michelle prayed. And the first day Kathy left her house after this tragedy was when her brother said, I'll buy you tickets to the Texas Rangers to play the Baltimore Orioles because this was her favorite team and she went. Now, on this particular day, it just happened to be two-for-one hot dogs. And when you have twins, two-for-one hot dogs sounds pretty good. So Michelle is in line, and Kathy are in line, and they start talking. Because my friend Michelle has the gift of gab. And they're talking, da-da-da-da, and I have twins, da-da-da, how old are your twins? And Michelle goes, what's your name? Kathy McGoisel. She goes, oh my gosh, I've been praying for you. I just happen to be one of the players' wives. Would you like to come sit in the skybox and afterward take her to the dugout to meet Cal Ripken Jr.? <laughs> Holy moment. Only God could orchestrate something that a woman in Dallas prays for another woman in Dallas, and they meet at a baseball game. Now, why did God orchestrate that holy moment? Because Michelle wanted what God wanted. She was praying what God wanted. She hungered for what God wanted. What delighted God delighted her, and the desire for her when she delighted in God was the desire that this woman would be comforted. And for whatever reason, God let Kathy McGoisel know that he knew her pain, he knew her name, and he loved her. It's breathtaking. You see, holy moments happen when you're at the right place at the right time with a righteous cause. Providence simply means the hand of God is in the glove of human affairs. It's what I call supernaturally naturally. It seems so natural that you have this desire to go to the beach, to go for a jog, to go to the baseball game, and while you're there, it becomes supernatural. And so you may need to be inquisitive. Talk to people when you're in your favorite places. Pray for people when you're in your favorite places. Who knows that God hasn't set up a holy moment just for you. So we delight ourselves in the Lord. He gives the desires of our heart. Now we kind of throw it back on the human side. It says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. The great theme of this evening Trusting him, trust him. Now, that's another ambiguous word. What is trust, anyway? I mean, can you define it? How would you know what trust is? Biblically, trust and faith are synonymous words. They're interchangeable. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, when Jesus spoke of faith all except one time, the word trust was the sense that was imparted. It says, trust in the Lord, with all your heart. How much of all is all? All. Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? Your finances? Your mother? Your marriage? Your money? 
all of your heart. See, we say, Lord, I trust you, except for this problem right here, and I need to take care of that, because clearly you're not up for it. And we do that all the time. And so delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, because guess what? Sometimes those desires are gonna be really amazing desires. And you're gonna go, I don't, I don't know about that. I'm not going knocking on my neighbor's door. Not happening. I'm not, no way, because he's gonna put a desire there. And then you're gonna need to trust him to follow through on what you desire. <clears throat> We're good friends with Franklin Graham of Samaritan's Purse <clears throat> International. And he inherited Samaritan's Purse from a great man named Bob Pierce. And when Franklin started, he didn't have the giant faith you see that he has today, which is enormous and covers the planet, with an organization probably bigger than the Red Cross, helping people all over the world. And Bob Pierce said, now Franklin, you're gonna need to learn the God Room Principle. The God Room Principle? What is the God Room Principle? He goes, this is the principle when you see a human need so great that it is impossible for you or man to fill it, and you say, I'm in. I'm going to trust God. You need to give God room. You see, if you live your life so safe, I got this much money in the bank, that's it. I've got this much time in the da-da, that's it. I've got, and it's all just filed away so perfectly. Where are you leaving God room? Where is there room in your life for God to do something God-sized? He needs to break out of your box, out of your boundaries, out of your expectations, out of your ordinary. And you don't give him room. So when you delight yourself in the Lord, he's going to give you desires, I promise you, and you're gonna go, oh man, I do not wanna work in the children's ministry. <laughs> of all the ministries you could have picked, God, I am not working in the children's ministry. And the Lord's gonna go, delight yourself in the Lord, I'll give you the desires of your heart, and you get in there, and you're gonna need to commit and trust him. Now this is what smart guys say about trust and faith. Oswald Chambers said, trustfulness is based on confidence in God, whose ways I do not understand. If I did, there would be no need for trust. Let's just blow your mind a little bit. Let's get out a little past what you think trust is. Abraham Lincoln said, faith is not believing that God can, but that God will. That puts a little more weight on trust, doesn't it? Martin Lloyd-Jones said, faith is refusal to panic. James Dobson, gotta love him. Trust involves letting go and knowing God will catch you. Ladies, you may need a little righteous, holy letting go in your life because I gotta tell you, we are control freaks. And if we don't control everything, the world might end. But to trust God, you're going to have to let go a little bit. So I'll tell you another story about a gal named Brenda. She was an adventurous student, and she decided she was going to conquer her fear of heights by learning to rock climb. Gotta let go, ladies. Gotta try something a little different. If it's not working, insanity, 
the definition, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Okay? So you might want to mix it up. If you're expecting something different to come out of what you've been doing over and over again, just saying. So anyway, Brenda says, I'm going to conquer my fear of heights. I'm going to go rock climbing. So she joins a group of enthusiasts, and they meet, and they have an instructor, and they're climbing this 100-foot solid rock face. And she gets about halfway, and the instructor's ahead of her, and he goes, okay, carabiner into the ledge, catch your breath. So she sticks her carabiner in, she's on the ledge, not knowing that the instructor from the top somehow snaps the rope, snaps the rope, hits her eye, contact falls out. While she's dangling 100 feet in the air with blurry vision. So Brenda says, help, Lord. Help me find my contact lens. Get me out of here. And she remembers a verse, and the verse is, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth <laughs> to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Help, Lord! Now, she didn't find her contact. and made her way to the top. They're coming down. The next group is coming up. And some guy from below goes, hey, anyone up there lose a contact lens? Brenda says, yes, it did, not my eye, it fell out. And he goes, you'll never believe it. I was looking down in the dirt, and an ant crawled by carrying a contact <laughs> lens <laughs> on its back. <laughs> oh, come on. Don't you think there are just some times in life God is showing off? Contact lens. <laughs> Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. It may be climbing a hundred foot rock face. Don't know. Commit your way to him. Trust in him. Some people think that trust is just for big stuff. When the doctor says it's incurable, or the bank says it's overdrawn, or your spouse says it's over. The psalmist said, oh, my people, trust in him at all times. How much of all is all? So that means you can pray for prom dresses, parking spaces. You would not believe the things I pray for because I want to have holy moments. I know the more I'm in his word, the more I'm in prayer, the more I'm out there doing what he likes, I'm going to have an experience with God. And I'm hungry for them. I mean, aren't you tired of normal? Aren't you tired of just the same and living in the valley? At one point, you go, Lord, a thimble's not enough. I want a bucket. A teaspoon's not enough. I want a ladle to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so it says, trust in God. First part, trust. Second part, him. We're not just trusting and trust. Oh, Lord, I'm conjuring up my faith. I have faith, God. I'm just faith over here. I got faith and faith. Woo, I got some faith. Because that just makes you crazy when people do that. Say, what, what? So it's trust in him, trust in the Lord. So I want to tell you, when you're trusting on these crazy big dreams, you are trusting on God with a capital G. We're talking God, God. You are trusting in God. In case you don't know him, 
let me introduce you. His face is like the shining sun in its strength. No man can see it and live. His eyes are like a flame of fire that run to and fro throughout the whole world to show himself loyal on behalf of those he loves. His nostrils blast and the valleys of the seas are exposed to the foundation of the earth. His voice is thunderous like mighty waters. It shakes the wilderness and the splinters the cedars of Lebanon, his strong arm made heaven and earth and nothing is too far, hard for him. His hand measures the oceans. He can hold them. He measures the heavens with the span of his fingers and his feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives and split it in two. Trust him, that God, the God God. Not the little God, not the little baby God, not, not little baby Jesus in the manger, God. It's the big God that you are to trust. Now, I believe that faith is like a muscle. If you want it to grow, you gotta use it. That's just, you know, what I'm trying to tell you. Use it, ladies, go for it. Trust him for something, anything. One day I was in the mall with my daughter-in-law and uh, daughter-in-love, and I took off this diamond earring that my dad gave me when I was young, and I put it on the counter to try on some trifle. And in my head, I said, don't do that. If you put that on the counter, you're going to forget. And I forgot. And so I got all the way home, and the mall was closed, and we're eating dinner. And I went, oh, I love my diamond earring in the mall. And my son, who is at this point like 27, has just been waiting all his life to pick on me because, you know, that's what kids do. And he goes, Mom, you should never have taken that diamond off. You'll never find it. And I don't know. I don't like that. It's just provoking to me. So he provoked me to righteous indignation. And I said, God is the God of lost things. He can find gold coins, he can find lost sheep, he can find prodigals, he can find my diamond earring. God room, I am way out here. What did I just say to my son? Oh, he can find my earring. You just watch. Um, he did, he found my earring. And the next day I went and some lady had saved it and praised the Lord. So um, about a year later, I'm in Jerusalem and we're traveling with other pastors. And this pastor we're traveling with, we get in a taxi, we go to a restaurant, we drive down the bumpy streets of Jerusalem. We're in the old city, chaos in the old city. We get to this place and he puts his, he, I can't find my wallet. And I go, oh, you should see. One time I lost a diamond earring, and I said, God, you're the God of lost things. Get, 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 get what I just told you. And he went, oh, oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the God of lost things, find my wallet. I'm like, I did it again. What if he doesn't find his wallet? I'm all out here like this. So <clears throat> he gets back to his hotel, and he doesn't find it. I'm like, <laughs> he calls me, and he goes, Lenya, I guess the God of lost things can't find my things. <laughs> you know, you're feeling this big. And then about 10 minutes later, he calls back, and he says, the concierge just called. Someone turned it in. It was down at the da-da-da-da, and his wallet came back. Now, I'm not going to go crazy on you for this, but I will tell you what. He has found more things for me because I'm blonde and silly. <laughs> and so for me, I pray about everything. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. 
trust in him because those desires are going to be a little audacious. And then it ends with, he will bring it to pass. <gasps> now that's, that's a good breath there. You see, because up until then, you're like, oh man, I'm trusting God. Trusting God, he's going to take care of this, I promise. You know what I mean? And you're like, yeah, uh-huh. And this ends it. The final step might be the hardest step because you do nothing but watch and wait for God to move. Remember Moses? He gets to the Red Sea. Pharaoh and the chariots are behind him, water in front of him, all the children of Israel. Thanks a lot. Now what are we going to do? God says, lift up your rod, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Sometimes you just got to stand still, and maybe tonight this is your standstill. Arms are in the air, God. I need to see your salvation. I need to see you break through the Red Sea on this one. If you've taken the previous steps of delighting in him, desiring what he desires, and dedicating your trust to him, he will do his part. He is the promise keeper. All the promises in him are yes and amen. Other translations of this little phrase, he will bring it to pass. He will work. God works. When you put your faith in him, when you put your trust in him, God works. He will work. It will work. It says he will secure a happy result. Are you happy? If you're not, he can secure a happy result. Another translation, he will take care of your interests. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You put the main thing, the main thing, the first thing, the first thing, and he will take care of it. You can trust him. Final translation that I love, he will accomplish what you desire to be done because you cannot do it yourself. You can't do it. We prayed this evening, Lord, we've done all we can, now do what we can't. Because there are so many things we can't. But he can. Providence is a combination of two Latin words. That's what a holy moment is. God's providence. Two Latin words, pro, which means before, and video, which means I see. In other words, God has foresight. He sees what you don't see before you don't see it. He knows what's around the next bend, around the corner, what the answer is. He has providence, and he can orchestrate things in your life so that he can provide for you in these ways. Isaiah 46, 9 says, I am God and there is no other. There is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times for what is to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do what I please. Maybe God just needs to be bigger than you think he is today. And I say to you, he is. Think the biggest, grandest, most magnificent, audacious thought about God that you can, and he's bigger than that, infinitely. Maybe you think too small. Benjamin Franklin said regarding God's providence and the birth of this nation, 
The longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of man. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire cannot rise without his aid. He brings up kingdoms and takes them down. All is in his hands. Sometimes we get so worried for America and ISIS and everything that's happening in the world and Baltimore and the crime that just happened on the streets and oh, it just gets overwhelming. But he knows. He knows. And he has a will and he has a plan. I'm going to end with one last holy moment story that is like a string of pearls of holy moments that it was so beautiful and glorious. About a year ago, as a matter of fact, just a year ago on Mother's Day, I was in the shower and I got this crazy thought. I thought, what if you picked up spent bullet casings, melted them down into brass charms, and you could take that money and help babies who are victims of terror? It was just like this, I don't even know where it came from. And I went, huh, that's interesting. So I got out of the shower, went to my computer, and I'm going, spent bullet casings. I, I don't have a gun, I don't shoot guns, I'm not opposed to guns, it's just I don't. And I get on the internet, and bullet casings are everywhere. Hardly anyone reloads their bullet casings. As a matter of fact, the military doesn't for the line of duty, nor do your civil officers, because you don't want one to misfire. And they can't really sell them on the market, because what if a bullet from your police ended up down in the cartel? So I'm going, who knew this? is a repurposing issue. So I just start putting out feelers. As of today, there's over 1,000 pounds of spent bullet casings in my office from the police department, the state police department, from shooting ranges, from enthusiasts. They let us pick it up on shooting ranges like Easter eggs on Sunday morning. <laughs> I mean, we just have people, we have husbands who like to shoot, and they go, yeah, I went shooting this weekend. Here's some more cartridges. <laughs> Helping out the cause, you know? Helping you out. <laughs> so I've got all these bullet casings. So now I'm like, well, I guess we need to make some brass charms. So I just go through the yellow pages, and I go, okay, jewelry, manufacturer. I drive downtown. I pull up this lady. She makes, you know, silver charms. Hi, do you make charms? Yes. Um, can you make brass charms? Mm-hmm. Um, could you make brass charms from melted bullets? She literally, like, backs up. <laughs> <laughs> bam, bam, can you make one out of that? No. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. That was so random. So it's getting late and I want pie. So anyway, tears start running down her cheek. And Molly says to me, bring me as many bullets as you can and I'll melt them down. I'm like, oh, awesome. She goes, but to make that, you have to have a wax mold made out of a CAD mold, and you have to put it in a computer and design it. I'm like, what? <laughs> so I go on the Yellow Pages the next day, and I'm looking for a jewelry designer. And I call this number, and I go, hi, get it again, bullets. Can you melt them, make them into charms? And the guy on the phone goes, uh, Lenya, you know me. I go, no, I'm pretty sure I don't know a name. Elliot, anyone named Elliot Spencer? He goes, no, I'm Elliot Shelton. Shelton Jewelers is the nicest jeweler in New Mexico. He has a pseudonym so people don't know it's him. So if he wants to design something on the side, he goes, I'll design it for you for free. I'm like, awesome. 
So within a matter of months, we had the bullets, we had the charms, and the organization is called Reload Love. So I have the bullets and I have the charms, and I'm like, well, Lord, now I need some babies impacted by terrorism, because that's literally what I said to the Lord. Babies impacted by terrorism. And I'm like, well, where are these people? <laughs> How do you find these babies? And so a good friend came to town, and, and he does mission work, and I said, hey, I have been raising these things. I've got bullets, and I've made them into brass charms, and I need to help some babies. And this sounds crazy. Look at me. Look at this. And he says to me, you should go to Burma. Burma? And he says, in Burma, there's a 65-year conflict. The Burmese army has been killing these tribes, the Karen, the Karini, the Wa, the Shan. I know them now. And can you believe, since a year ago, I have hiked into Burma twice to take relief things to children who live in refugee camps, whose villages are burned and people are killed because Jesus said, pick up some bullets and make some brass charms. Now, I don't hike. I mean, hike for two days with a backpack and sleep in a tent hike. Like, boil your water, because there's nothing. You're not getting, you have to bathe under bamboo like Robinson Crusoe. I'm like, aren't there any babies in Paris? <laughs> I would like to help those babies in Paris. And the Lord says, no, you're going to Burma. We kept collecting these things, and a friend of ours that lives in Washington, D.C., she says, you know, you need to start making more money than just a few bucks on your bracelets, Lenya. And I go, yeah, okay, how do you do that? Because I've never raised that kind of money. And so she says, you need to do a love, a bomb. And I, I had had this idea with our team to do a love bomb. And a love bomb, we were gonna drop the L-bomb. <laughs> And when we dropped the album on Valentine's Day, people were just gonna give us money. Don't know. So she says, yeah, 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 you just need to put it on the internet, blah, 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 and just think of a crazy number, just pick some crazy number and try and raise the money. I'm like, ah, $15,000, $20,000. I've never raised $1,000, seriously. $15,000, $20,000. I get a phone call the next day from a man I met in Burma who is American, he walked out of the jungle and he saw me and he goes, are you Lenya Heitzig? Yeah, and he goes, what are you doing here? The Burmese army is one mile away, a landmine just went off, where are your security guards? I don't know, nobody told me I was gonna need a security guard. I'm just here. Well, he does other stuff, he calls me, he goes, Lenya, I just got a phone call and at the time he couldn't tell anybody because he works covertly and he just gotten a message from an Egyptian woman who works with the Kurdish Peshmerga, and 300 youths, male and female, had just been released from ISIS who had been raped and kidnapped. And he wanted to go help them. I need $15,000. Okay, I don't have it, but I'm gonna raise my love bomb. And I go, sure, give it to him, $15,000, let's do this. So anyway, all that to say, Valentine's comes, and we're just wanting to raise the money to send this guy over to Iraq. We raise $145,000 in one weekend. He went to Iraq. My friends from Burma 
with the Burmese men who have been saved after the last 20 years who are medics and know how to run to the front lines and save people are right now in Iraq teaching the Peshmerga how to do rescue, how to run to the front lines, how to get people out safely and bring them back to the IDP camps. What? I have no idea. And then I met an Egyptian woman who has tracked down the 21 guys who were martyred in Libya on the Mediterranean. They cut off their heads, and the only word they said was, oh, Jesus, Jesus, help me. She has found 15 of the 21 families and wants us to start a program in that village for the children of that village. I didn't know anybody in this realm one year ago. The Lord just said, what if you pick up some bullets and make some breast charms and try and help babies? Now, I am just assuming God must really love babies who are victims of terror. God must be so concerned about what's happening in Iraq and what's happening in the Middle East that he had me meet two crazy men in the jungle and all of us ended up going to Iraq together and now I'm meeting more people, and they're saying, come to Jordan, come to Egypt, come to wherever, because I am delighting myself in him. He has put a desire in my heart that is crazy. I've committed it to him. I'm trusting him, and he is bringing it to pass. I have very little to do with it, except I went, okay, I'm in. What does God want to do in your life? What adventures does he have for you? And I guarantee he does. God loves you. He has an amazing plan for your life. And I would love to come back next year. I'm not inviting myself. <laughs> I just want to come next year and find out what God does if you do what God tells you to do. Because he's just waiting for that. He's just waiting to use you, waiting for you to pray that prayer. So we're going to close in prayer. If there's anybody here who doesn't know God, you've never committed yourself to him, you don't trust him, he is not your delight. As a matter of fact, you're still like Cleo, squeaking on something that is really actually destructive. If there's anyone here that just would like to receive Jesus, to trust him for the first time in their lives tonight, if you raise your hand, I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. It'll take a minute. Anybody? Reach out and trust this amazing God who can do anything, no matter your circumstance, whether you're in the midst of divorce or debt or disease or death or despair is there anyone here just raise your hand I'll see you I see you in the back I think you have both your hands up in prayer anybody else this is important this is the most holy moment you will ever have in your life this is the loudest moment he will speak to save you from being lost I want to give you the chance. Do you want to repent? Do you want to let go of that nonsense and grab a hold of him? Is there anyone else? It's bright, so you're going to have to hold your hand high. God bless you here in the middle. Anyone else? 
God bless you. Lord, we thank you for these women, Lord. And they are ready for the adventure of a lifetime. Oh, heaven's going to be awesome. But you want to give life an abundant life here and now, Lord. You are the God of now, now. Just not the future now as well, Lord. So I thank you that you came to seek and to save those who are lost, Lord. Praise you for that this evening, Lord. Are there any of you like uh, Moses at the Red Sea? You just need to lift up your rod. You're in the middle of a situation that is bigger than you are. And God bless you. I just want to pray for you, ladies, that you've come here. God bless you. Anybody else? Raise your hands high. That's just your surrender. Raise them up. Tell God, I can't. You have got to do this. There is no way, no way in my strength, in my power, my checkbook, that this is happening. Lord, you see these many hands, Lord, and I pray that you would provide all their needs according to your riches and glory, Lord. That you would fulfill every single promise toward them, Lord. That tonight you would be the glory and the lifter of their heads, Lord that you would do exceedingly abundantly above everything they could ask or hope, and that they would know this evening, tonight was the night, the answer, the solution, the glory began. In Jesus' name.